Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. Well, I think it's safe to say that all of us in this room or those listening on Facebook Live or watching on Facebook Live or listening to the podcast that you are familiar with the Ten Commandments, okay? You've probably heard that saying before. Maybe you could even pull out some Ten Commandments, but you've heard of the Ten Commandments. You might not know a whole lot about the rest of the Bible, right? But you have heard of the Ten Commandments. Now, that might be because you're more old school and you think of Charlton Heston, right? And you think of the movies maybe that have been made. There was an animated one that was kind of popular as well. Or maybe you think of the Ten Commandments being uh, the old lawsuit battles happening. Should they be in the schools or the courthouse or in front displayed? And there's been all kinds of lawsuits about that. But you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Now, even though you've heard of them, uh, I'm betting that most of us in this room probably couldn't just spit out all 10. Maybe you've been studying this week because you knew, hey, we're in the Ten Commandments. He might call on me. And speaking of that, Macy, I want you, no, I'm just kidding. But you were like, man, I've got to get prepared to, to spit these out. I want to have them in order. But I'm betting most of you probably could not do that today. But maybe you're like me, and that it can happen when you're like, oh, gosh, what are they again? And you, you try to get them. But when I think of the Ten Commandments, typically, okay, outside of the series, maybe four weeks ago, a month ago, you said, hey, name them. I would have probably started with three words that you would probably start with. Thou shall not, right? That's kind of what you think of at first. Okay, thou shall not do this. Thou shall not do that. Thou shall not do that. And, and you start thinking of the Ten Commandments. Why do we start with those three words? Well, why do we immediately go to thou, thou shall not? You said, well, of course, that's what the Bible says. Of course, the King James Version, which we don't normally talk that way, all right? A lot of you are not theeing and thouing uh, uh, in your normal conversation with folks. But eight, of the, eight out of the ten of the King James Version start with thou shall not. So I get it. That's maybe where your mind goes to. Maybe that's how you originally heard them, thou shall not. But I think it's even deeper than that. I think... Maybe, just maybe, why we go to thou shall not, because when we think of God's commandments, when we think of his rule, we associate those commandments, those rules, with a God who wants to keep us from having fun, a cosmic killjoy. And it's like, thou shall not. Maybe even in your mind, you point or you picture this old elderly man with this bony finger pointing at you, thou shall not, you know? Maybe that's kind of how it is deep down ingrained in us that when God gave these rules, when God gave these commands, okay, these Ten Commandments specifically that we're going to look at, that it's this uh, fuddy-duddy just saying, man, you can't do this, and never should you do this, and because it's not because I want to protect you or to even keep you free. It's because I want to keep you from having fun. That's not the context of the Ten Commandments. We talked about last week, it's less uh, about the rules and more about the relationship. See, we've, we tend to focus on the relationship or the rules that God gives instead of understanding the, the longing or the desired relationship that he wants to have with us. But the context of these Ten Commandments is when he says, I am the Lord, your God. We're already in this thing together. I am your God. And in light of being your God, I want to give you some rules to follow. I want to help you to experience the best of this relationship that you can experience. See, these Ten Commandments were not given as a condition for a relationship. Right? They were confirmation that they, the Israelites, were already in this relationship with God. These Ten Commandments were not a condition of God's love and acceptance and approval. No, they were evidence of this relationship of God's love, of his approval. 
his acceptance. The relationship came first. And last week, I gave us a little illustration about that. If you were here, maybe you remember the story of having a dog in the backyard, right? The Hickmans, we have a precious dog named Hannah. She's this golden retriever. This was a couple of years ago. She got a little more white in the face now. We can see the, the effects of age coming upon her, but she's super, super sweet dog. Now, she's right there in our backyard. You can see the fence in the background. Now, just because she's in our backyard and in the fence, that's not specifically what makes her our dog because she could be in the front yard like she was this morning getting a bath. Now, because she left the backyard and became a little bit more into the wild, Williamson Farms wild, you know, woo, how crazy it is there, you know, the great western frontier, right? She's out in the front yard. Was she no longer our dog? No, she was our, still our dog. It wasn't the fence that made her our dog. You have a dog, maybe. I know uh, some of you do because you post about your dogs all the time, right? And you have this wonderful dog. The Castillos have Remy. Remy could be over at our house, and Remy could go into our backyard and be fenced in. And I could say, well, Remy's my dog now. And the Castillos would probably say, yes, take Remy, please. It's your <laughs> dog now. No, they would say, that's our dog. Just because our dog is in your backyard, in your fence, does not make that your dog. We all get that. We all understand. It's not the fence that makes the dog Yours. Hannah could be in someone else's. Hannah could be down the street. Hannah is still our dog because we bought Hannah. We purchased Hannah. She's ours. Another way maybe to look at it is as a parent, you have established rules for your home, for your kids. Now, you can't do that for the home down the street and the kids down the street. As much as maybe you do in your mind, well, I want these rules for these kids, you can't because you're not in relationship with those kids. Their home maybe has different rules and a different fence, so to speak, boundaries, guidelines. But you have one specific for your home, for your kids. And newsflash, just because your kid obeys one of your rules doesn't then indicate, oh, now this is my kid. She followed the rule that I established. Now she's my blood, right? Now she's my daughter. Or he now obeyed, so he's now my kid. He's my son. No, a relationship has been formed, and, and there's authority that has taken place. Now we give the rules because of the relationship, not to get a relationship. The relationship has already been established. So the good news for us is if we want to get closer to God, if we want to know God more, it, it's not necessarily about keeping the rules. It's pressing in into this relationship with God and getting to know more about him. It's not about the Ten Commandments really make it clear that God wants you in relationship before he wants you to be this rule keeper. He invites you into an intimate relationship with him. And so the way you have a relationship with God isn't by keeping rules, it's by trusting in him. God asked the Israelites, said, this is going to seem crazy, but this is what I want you to do. You're going to have this lamb for supper. And as you sacrifice this lamb, as you prepare this lamb for a meal, you're going to take some of the blood and you're going to put it over the doorpost and you're going to smear some of it on the sides of your doors. And that is going to be a signal. It is going to be evidence that you're trusting in me. We talked about this last week. You can go back and listen to the podcast or Facebook Live. But God said this sign of you taking the blood from the lamb, an unblemished lamb, is going to be the sign. It's going to signal. It's going to portray that you trust me. And they did this. And God led them out of slavery. Because they trusted 
in God. Now, in light of the New Testament, in light of the life of Christ, we understand that even to a greater extent that Jesus was our lamb. He was our sacrifice. And when we put our faith and trust in his blood and the sacrifice of the son, and we apply that to our lives, that we have entered into this relationship because we are signifying we trust in you, God. We don't trust in our own righteousness. We don't trust in our own doing. We trust in you and what you've done on our behalf in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us upon that cross and the defeating death by resurrecting. And so that's our trust in him. But after Israel trusted God, he gave the law. He says, okay, I am your God, and now here are some rules. And we can learn a lot about the person by looking at the rules. And so I want us to do that, okay? Exodus chapter 20. Hopefully you've already turned there, knowing from last week. But if not, go ahead and find that. It's the second book of the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to camp out in Exodus chapter 20. So pull out a smartphone, or if you brought a copy of God's Word, which I think is awesome, have that with you, okay? Last week we mentioned that the book of Exodus is all about God's people, the Israelites exiting Egypt. And today we're going to dive into the first two commandments. Now really, besides your decision to follow Christ, these first two commandments make up probably the most significant decision you'll ever make. In fact, I would say this. as we, uh, We're going to spend weeks here. We're only going to look at the first two commandments today. But understanding these first two commandments uh, are so important that, and that if we don't apply them to our lives, the, the rest of them kind of become irrelevant. Okay, these commandments are the umbrella which everything else will fall under. Okay, there's really no discussing, no point in discussing the rest if we don't get these two right off the bat. So let's go right to the word, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I'll go ahead and read a verse 1 and 2 like we did last week, and then we'll continue. But Exodus 20 verse 1 says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. That's sort of the history lesson, right? We talked about last week. That's the context. But God keeps going here, and he gives us the first commandment. Verse Three, this is the first one. You must not have any other God but me. Literally in the Hebrew, very close. You shall have no other gods above me or, or could be in addition to me. Essentially what God is saying here in the very first commandment is I got to be your one and only. I'm it. No competition, no rival, no equal. I am the one true God. Now, I don't know how Moses exactly responded when he heard God say this. But I think it would have been fair for Moses to say, um, no kidding, right? He maybe didn't have the, the gift of sarcasm. I doubt he did. He was Moses, right? But it would have been real easy for Moses to say, well, well, hang on. You think we're going to go to someone else? You've done all these things for us. You think that we're going to turn and worship another God? You think we're going to add another God or place another God, little g, above you? We've seen you work. You've acted on our behalf. You've parted the Red Sea. You did these incredible plagues and protected us in the meantime. You have acted on our behalf. You think we're going to turn to someone else? I mean, this commandment seems like a no-brainer. I mean, why would God even have to say that? The reason is because in every culture in the world, at that point, had been worshiping multiple gods. In fact, historically, it, it would have been almost unbelievable, unheard of, for one nation to have just one God. And so God was saying, 
All right, instead of a God for healing and a God for farming and a God for love and a, a God for fertility, I'm going to be your one-stop shop. No one else, just me. I want to be the one source, the one God that you depend on for everything. I'm it. I'm one. You got war issues, you come to me. You got money issues, you come to me. You got illness issues, you're coming to me. Whatever the issue is, there's not another department of God for that. There's no other gods for that. It's me, nation of Israel. I don't want you to have multiple gods. I'm the one and only because I am the one and only. I am to be your all in all. I am to be your everything. I'm the one true God. That, in essence, is what God is establishing right here off the bat. There ain't no other. It's me. I'm it. I'm him, the one true God. Now, this is huge. One God for everything? <laughs> he said, I, I am the one true God, no one else. And if we get this commandment right, we keep God as our one and only, then the rest of the commandments really take care of themselves. The rest of the commandments just kind of fill in the details, fill in the gaps. But, but it's this one that starts it all off. There is only one God. Everything else falls under it. Everything would function properly if we would start with this. You are the one true God. There's not another, just you. Now the second commandment, verse four. You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind, of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. All right, in other words, God's saying, not only do I want to be your one and only, I am the only true God. I don't want you to even attempt to build some sort of monument or, or have a, a statue to fashion some sort of statue or to make something with your hands that represents me. I don't want any of that. None of that. See, not only did most people in that day worship multiple gods, Everybody who had a God had a representation of that God. So no matter what God you worshipped, you would build some sort of idol or statue or building that stood or represented that God. And so whether that was the God or goddess of fertility, you would have an image that would, you would bow and worship or a monument, or a, a, a small idol to a big idol, or to um, a statue, whatever that may be, that object would represent the presence of that God, and it would be worshipped. Now, God knows us. He created us. He knows how we're wired, how we're designed, and God knows that we want an object to worship. It's in us, right? We like the tangible over the intangible, it's easier sometimes to worship something you can touch as opposed to something you can't touch. So in response, God says, no, 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 don't even do that. Don't you dare create something that is to represent me because God is unrepresentable. Whatever you create, God is bigger. Whatever you build, God is more majestic. Whatever size you make it, he is more powerful. God isn't some idol that we can be in the presence of and then when we leave that idol, we're no longer in his presence. See, that's what an idol would do. You could now pretend, okay, my God is in this object. And so when I'm in the presence of this object, whoa, this is holy. 
and this is my moment, but as soon as I leave that object, oh, that guy can't see me. That guy can't hear me. And so it would help someone justify some of their choices and their decisions and their actions because they have compartmentalized their God to an object. Oh, I'm in the present. I gotta be on my best behavior. Oops, I've left. Potty, 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 potty. However, some of their gods were the God of partying, and so you could party in both, right? But that's what the idea was. I'm gonna trap the presence of my deity, my little G, into this object, and then I will be in its presence when I'm around that object, but I'm away from that object. I'm no longer in that little G's presence. We kind of like that because we're okay with God, but honestly, we're the ones who are calling the shots, right? We like to be the, the boss applesauce of our own current situation. And so sometimes we do that with God. We'll put him in a compartment. We might not literally trap his presence into an object, or maybe we do. How about here? Sometimes we'll say, well, only God is here. And so we become, what do we do? We create a Sunday God. And so, well, on Sunday morning, I got to be on my best behavior. And so I'm going to leave this place. Well, God's no longer with me because God is trapped in this place. And so my Monday can be my Monday. My Tuesday can be my Tuesday Wednesday can be my Wednesday. Do you hear the word I'm using? My. Because you've left God where? At the GP. Here. Thinking this is only where he resides. And so literally a building can become an object or an idol. Because you've left the presence of God here. Newsflash, it ain't working. The earth and everything in it is the Lord's. So he... As far as a believer in Christ, his spirit dwells within the believer. And so where I go, he goes. He's in me. I am tabernacling amongst us. The word has become flesh. So we're like, some of us are like, that's so heathen to do that. And so what you do is you create a compartment of, of your pocket. And so you put Jesus in your pocket. So you're like, I'm okay with Jesus leaving the GP with me. You put him in your pocket. Monday, you don't pull him out of your pocket unless something goes wrong. Oh, you need my Jesus. And then you pull out Jesus out of your pocket. And then everything's back in order. Jesus, get back in my pocket. I'm back in control. And then we're calling the shots. We're doing what we want to do. Friday night, he ain't coming out of that pocket. Saturday night, he ain't coming out of that pocket. The big game, he's staying right there. And, and, and he might even be a little too close. I'm going to put him in the drawer. But on Sunday morning, brush him off, get him ready. Let's bring him to. That's some of the spiritual people, how we do that. But that's not who our Lord is. That's why we're called everyday church, to remind us. He's not the Sunday God. He's the everyday God. And this relationship we, we have with the Lord is not a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. That's who we are as followers of Christ. He's made us a temple of the living God. He dwells within us. And not that we worship ourselves, but we just know God is in us. And he's everywhere. And he is to be praised. He is to be glorified. He's not to be put in a compartment. And so if these two commandments had been the only ones, I think it would have been enough. Because we're, we're totally dependent on God. We understand that when he is the center, when he's the one and only, then we're like, why do I need to steal? Why do I need to murder? I'm just going to trust him because he's my everything. 
Okay? Why do I lie? Why do I covet? All the other ones would kind of fall into place. But God, he, he puts these two first, I think, in order to emphasize their importance. But there's a warning that's attached to these commandments. I want you to look at it. Verse 4 again. Let's read that one again, and we'll go into the first, first part of verse 5. Verse 4 says, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. Now, just pause here for a second. We'll keep going. But God, he doesn't want any idol because he doesn't want anything to compete for his rightful place in our lives. God doesn't want us to give credit. He doesn't want us to give glory to anything or anyone else. He is a jealous God. He rightfully deserves all our attention, all our affection. He deserves to be in the front and center. Now, this does not mean he's insecure. It doesn't mean that he's looking for attention for attention's sake. He's not envious. He's not desiring what you got because he can't have it. That's envy. He is not envious in any fashion. He's jealous. He wants to lead. He wants to be the captain of the ship, the boss, the one in control. He does want no rival competing with him. He is the one true God. And he loves us. And we need to trust in that and know that if he would be at the helm, then, then he's going to take care of us and bring what's best for us. Now, here's how it continues. Look at this. The second part of verse 5. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. Ooh. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now listen, in other words, if we take God out of the center, if we shrink him down to something manageable, we try to compartmentalize God, and we decide, okay, I'm not going to give you the recognition you deserve. I'm not going to honor you. I'm not going to worship you. Not only will we suffer, and we will, not only will we suffer, and we will, but our children will suffer, and our grandchildren will suffer. It's a very strong warning, and it can be tricky, and it can be complicated, but I believe what God is talking about are multi-generational consequences, and I bet a lot of us have struggled with those before, even though we would maybe not have known that term, or, or even how to put our finger on it, but we... I, I, I mean, it's hard for me to say some. I, I'm betting all of us in this room have faced the consequences of some of the decisions our parents have made. It had nothing to do with the decision you made, a choice you made, something your parent or parents did that you have felt the effects of. It's not fair, but it's true. Maybe it was a decision they, had, they did financially. Maybe did something that would not integrity or character, or let's just flat out call it sin. They handled finances in a sinful manner, and you've felt the impact. Maybe it was relationally, within their own mom and dad parent relationship, made decisions that were unethical, that were sinful, were poor character choices, and there were residual effects to those decisions, even though in the moment it felt like, oh, no, it's just me and her, or me and him, and those decisions were made. And you're like, it's not impacting anybody else. There's shrapnel damage, okay? There's, there's a collateral effect to our choices. Those consequences can even be felt down the line. 
God gives a stern warning. He says, if, if you're trying to organize your life around any other little G God, anything, anyone other than me, the one true God, there's going to be negative consequences even far after you're gone. Your choices have a butterfly effect. But it doesn't stop there. There's something very positive. Listen to this. This is how, they, how he ends the first part of the Ten Commandments, okay? But, now that, that's a big old but right there, and I cannot lie. You feel me? That one worked way better at 10 o'clock. Okay, so. <laughs> but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Let me read that again. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. God's telling Israel and us that if we would decide to let him be the Lord our God, and that we would have no other gods but him, if we followed these first two commandments, not only will we be blessed, and we will, not only will we be blessed, and we will, but our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will be blessed as well. There are positive consequences to our choices too. That's not all doom and gloom. And we, we bear the responsibility for, for whatever life lot that we have. But our decisions can bring about negative consequences, but it can also bring about these amazing positive consequences if we would, would live out these first two commandments. Not trying to trap God, compartmentalize God, worship other little g-gods, and to just keep him as the one and only, there are positive effects to that choice. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? It means we need to be careful about who and what we worship. We need to be careful about who we are letting call the shots in our lives. See, we often think just because we don't get down onto our knees and pray to a, a literal idol, to the money God, or to the love God, or, or just because we don't have a wooden idol or a little statue in our home. See, sometimes we think, oh, we're a-okay. We're okay. We've got this commandment covered. But God was talking so much more than, than, than just going through the motions of, of worshiping a physical object. There's so much more on the line. I believe God is saying there is some, if there is something in your life that you consider so important, so crucial, so central to your life that you have basically organized your life around it, then you have violated the first and second commandment. If there is something that you really are centering your life around other than God, you're breaking the first two commandments. You might not have a literal statue, but you've, you've built one in your mind. You've built one in your heart. See, we're a little bit more educated today. We would never do that, right? But yet we do it all the time. And so the most important thing we do is not just keeping a wooden idol off of our shelves. The most important decision we'll make outside of becoming a follower of Christ is deciding who's going to be at the center. Who's our one and only? Who's going to call the shots? Who's going to be the boss? Who's going to be the captain of the ship? Because what goes at the center, whether it's a little G God or the one true God, that person is going to have the most influence in your life. Who is it going to be? It's going to be God. It's going to be something else. And this is tricky because even as a follower of Christ and you can declare God is your one and only, it's easy 
to get off center. It's easy to justify our actions. We can say, well, I don't want to be a Pharisee or I don't want to be a legalist. And we can abuse grace. And we can compromise here or there. And what happens is suddenly we get off center. Suddenly we get off course and we allow some competition to the throne of our heart. We allow a little G to rise up the ranks and try to dethrone the one true God. Which God is a a very graceful, generous friend and lover who says, I'm not going to force you to love me, force you to worship me. It's, It's up to us and our choice. And so we need to be very careful in the things that we do that we don't, uh, I would say, skip out on Sunday or consume things we shouldn't or, or walk dangerously close to a relationship that we have no business walking dangerously close to and have up safeguards and margin our life that we make sure the big G God is the one leading us where we should go. We are worshiping him, bowing to him. He is the one and only. But when there's a little G, we begin to organize everything else around it. Whether it's a sports schedule, whether it's shopping, whether it's anything else, there's a problem. And what you will discover, your life's going to get a little out of balance. It's kind of like a car and your front end is out of, it's out of alignment. And your tires have not been rotated, balanced. And you, you're trying to stay in the lane, but there's a pull. And it gets so bad, there's a vibration and there's a shaking. And you, you struggle a little bit hard, harder to stay between the lines. Listen, my wife has a hard enough time when everything is smooth. But now everything's kind of getting out of whack. I don't know why. Babe, you're amazing and incredible. And sometimes I just make jokes at your expense. <laughs> it must be a pain being married to me. Thank you. What happens is things get out of line. And and it starts drifting and pulling us in a direction that we have no business going. And God forbid it pulls you into oncoming traffic where the consequences get serious in a hurry. And God forbid, literally, it's pulling you off just to the side of the road too. And we got to stay in tune with the big G to make sure that balance is happening, that we're going the right direction. And really, God's ultimate goal with this And I think with the Israelites, God wasn't saying, oh, you're such a bad people. I'm going to give you these rules to make you good. I think God said, hey, you're a freed people, and I want to give you these rules so you stay free. And that's what he wants to do, too, is to keep you free. He pulled a a group out of slavery, physical slavery, and he's saying, I want to keep you from spiritual slavery. And he wants to keep us freed from spiritual slavery, too. And so we need to trust God and say, God, you're the one. You say, well, I don't have a little G. Well, let's be a little bit more self-aware. What is the little G God in your life? One surefire way to look and determine is to look at your time and treasure. Where are they going? You honoring God with your wealth? You honoring God with your time? If not, let's just hold up for a second. Let's be honest today and say there's a little G God in your life. It is probably those two metrics probably speak volumes to who you really worship. Time, treasure. Could be a poor relationship. Could be even your kids and vicariously living through your kids and and their schedule. It could be you 
And you've put yourself in the place of God in your heart and life. And you're not allowing God to speak in and to call the shots. You're saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to call the shots in my life. I'm not even going to take you into account, God, with the things that I'm choosing on a daily basis because I don't need your input. I don't need your help. I don't want you in the decision-making process. And so this morning, I want you to dive deep into your life. Who do you really bow to? Who are you really worshiping? And I get it. Life is hectic. There's work. There's bills. There's sports schedules. There's competition schedules. There's friends. There's God. And those can all be important. But what's the most important? Who is the most important? God is saying, I'm a jealous God. Those things should not compete with me at all. In fact, one time Jesus said, if you, if you don't hate your mother and father, your wife, your children, yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. He was saying, your love for me better be so intense. Every, in comparison, everything else looks like hate. It shouldn't even compare to the love you have for me. He is a jealous God, y'all. But I'm telling you, when you get that right, the car runs better. Doesn't mean everything in your life's perfect, but I'm just telling you there's going to be his presence and peace with you, no matter the twist and the turn or the hill or the decline. It's so much better and sweeter when the car is running the right way. And that's when God is the one driving, when he's the one in control. And so my prayer for you this series is that you take time to look and say, who, who is the boss? Who am I worshiping? Who's at the center? Who's my one and only? The reality is, some of you have put your faith and trust in Christ, and I think most of you in this room, but if you haven't, it starts there. But I will say, even if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is this daily surrender. Because those little G's are easy to sneak up, because there's new relationships, there's new seasons of life, there's new interest as we grow. And it's easy for these little G's to try and come in and thwart the OG. God. The one true God. And we need to care, be careful. And every day, we need to surrender. Jesus said, hey, you're going to pick up your cross and follow me? He said, pick up your cross daily and deny yourself and follow me. It's a daily surrender of like, God, okay, I don't want any competitors. Today, again, I start this day saying, there's no rival. There's no battle here. You're in control, God. You lead me. You lead us. And so today, let, let's have a moment where we re-surrender. Maybe it's been a long time since you've literally said that to God. I surrender. I bow to you. I don't build an altar to any other idol, anything, any little G. I bow and worship you. I lay my life down on the altar. My body is a living sacrifice. And this is my spiritual act of worship. I give it all to you. Listen, I'd love for you to do that this week, but also I'd love for you to have a moment now. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And as they get set up and ready, I want you to have a moment where you are maybe declaring those words. I surrender. Maybe it's God, is there any little G in my life? Would you reveal it? And would you repent of that this morning? Would you turn from that this morning? 
And I, I love that we're, we've been having these times of just allowing God to speak. And so I, I'm going to hush. And I'm going to just let you talk with the Lord. And I'm going to ask you if it would be more comfortable. Or maybe comfortable is not the word. Because it probably won't be. But maybe it would be more meaningful if you got on your knees. And you made an altar, so to speak, of worship to the Lord. And if that was up here at the front or at your chair. I'm going to encourage you. Put him on the throne. Bow. Worship him. Don't let anyone compete with him. And make that declaration today. If you want someone to pray for you, I'll be up here. If you want to talk about what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want that conversation with you. We can do it right now. If you want to have a time with the Lord's Supper, the table is ready to go. You talk with the Lord and respond as he leads you. And when you're ready to sing, you can join in. But you meet with the Lord right now. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you if there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless. Thank you.